Welcome to the Community Church at Lake Wiley's Message Podcast. We are so grateful that you decided to download this episode and listen to this week's message. As we mark the beginning of Advent, Pastor Ryan brings us a new series, What Child Is This? Before we begin, a quick reminder that on December 10th, we have our Christmas musical at 11 a.m. And at 4 p.m., we host the Magnify Orchestra as they perform the joys of Christmas. Admission is free, so we hope to see you there. For now, let's dive into this week's sermon. Here's Ryan. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, Today happens to be the six-month anniversary of my family arriving in Lake Wiley. We're really grateful to be here, and God's done so much uh, in those six months, and so thank you for all you have been to us as we've begun to make our home here, and we're so excited to be here as it uh, is really starting to look a lot like Christmas. So excited to be here and glad to be able to begin to turn our hearts toward the meaning of this season. We are living in the era of movie sequels and reboots. It didn't used to be this way. There was a time when, you know, TV shows and movies, you know, they were mostly original when they would come out. Um, But in the years 2017 to 2022, according to the Internet Movie Database, there were 232 films that were sequels and reboots of old material, uh, reworkings of things that were already out there. There's been a lot written about this, about how perhaps movie studios are a little frightened to try something new, so they want to keep going back to familiar stories that people already love. So because of that, we end up with you know, four Avengers movies and three Iron Man movies and six Spider-Man movies and nine Star Wars films, though I love those, countless spinoffs on Disney+, Plus, all the Pixar sequels, multiple Batman, X-Men, Superman films. And it's not just the age of sequels, but also of prequels, which go back in time and tell the backstory of well-known stories and characters. And so even recently in the last few weeks, the the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy has been like the number one movie in this country. The Lord of the Rings uh, prequel series, Rings of Power, has been a huge um, uh, success on Amazon Prime. That TV series had a $465 million budget. Uh, it's the most expensive TV series ever made. And even The Addams Family has had a reboot, a reboot with the, uh, the show Wednesday on Netflix. This is the whole message, by the way. I'm just going to keep listing <laughs> TV shows and movies. That's it. So we've got 20, 21 more minutes of just listing things. Why am I telling you all of this? Um, because we come into a season with a very familiar story, the Christmas story, kind of the nativity story, right? The birth of Jesus, Bethlehem, all the amazing events around that. It's a story that we sing about, we think about, we celebrate. But that story has a prequel. There's a backstory there. And it's in the New Testament, and it's all over Scripture, but there's one place in particular I'm thinking of in the New Testament. It's often overlooked. It's not thought of as a Christmas passage, but it absolutely is. It's kind of hiding in plain sight, There's no wise men, there's no shepherds, there's no manger. It's not Christmassy, but it absolutely is the Christmas story. It's the prequel about the eternal supremacy of Jesus and the unfathomable humility of God becoming one of us. And so I want to explore that with you this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. 
And here's where you can find John if you are unfamiliar with the organization of Scripture. We're going to start right at the beginning of that book, John 1.1. Now, just a, a few words about the Gospel of John before we get into it. Um, the Gospel of John was written by uh, one of the 12 disciples named John. He knew Jesus very well. Uh, he witnessed Jesus' ministry up close. He was, uh, seemed to be a very close friend of Jesus. In fact, he seems to have been, John, um, the only disciple who was present at Jesus' crucifixion, meaning of the 12. Uh, the others were sort of running scared, but John was there at the foot of the cross. He wrote this Gospel of John. He also wrote a few letters in the New Testament and the book of Revelation. But the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the four Gospels. And, and really, those are the, the accounts of Jesus' life, his ministry, his teachings. And um, it seems there's sort of a scholarly consensus that the Gospel of John was written last of those four. So Mark had begun to circulate. It had been written down. Matthew and Luke had been written down. They were circulating. And then John wrote his last. And that he was familiar with what had been written down in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And he wrote his, his gospel deliberately to affirm what Matthew, Mark, uh, uh, sorry, Matthew, Luke, and Mark had written, but also to add some things that he thought were important that they didn't include in theirs because you know, none of them could include everything about Jesus' life and ministry. And so when John sat down to write his gospel, he felt that the basic events, it seems, the basic events of Jesus' birth had been covered sufficiently in Matthew and Luke. That's where you find the story of Jesus' birth and the nativity and all that is in Matthew and Luke. Mark didn't even bother with that. He just starts when Jesus has grown up. Um, but Matthew and Luke have the birth stories, and John knew that, and he wanted to start earlier. He, there was more to the story of Jesus coming to earth than just what happened in Bethlehem. So John sort of consciously began to tell his story of Jesus much earlier than Matthew and Luke to, to, to supplement and to complement what they had written. And what John wanted us to do was to contemplate Jesus' divine origin, the deeper meanings of Christmas, not just what happened on the day Jesus was born, but something more. And John's kind of Christmas prequel, it, really what it is is the poetic prologue to his gospel. And it, the beginning of the gospel of John is one of the most majestic texts in all of the New Testament, and if we read it with sort of a Christmas lens on it, because that's really what it is, it will enlarge our view of Jesus, and really it will magnify our view of Christmas, and that's what I hope this does. So let's get into it. The, the prologue of the Gospel of John, right at the beginning, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and by the way, that's his term for Jesus in this passage. I'll come back to what he means by that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So if, if you're an ancient reader of this, hearer of this, those first three words of John's gospel jump off the page. Let's highlight that. The first words of the gospel of John, in the beginning. Now, that probably sounds familiar if you know anything about the Bible. John did this on purpose to start his gospel with these three words, in the beginning, because, of course, those are the first three words of the Bible. 
of the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And so John, in beginning to tell his story of Jesus, wanted to connect the dots between his work and Genesis. He wanted his readers then and now, us, transported back to the scene in Genesis 1. So I want to do that real quick and read the first few verses of Genesis. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So this is the creation account, right? God speaking the universe into existence, creating light and dark, the ideas of light and dark. He invented it, and he brought it to be, and then he separated it the day and the night. So in the beginning, this is what happened, the creation of the universe, and especially light and dark right there at the beginning. And by John at the beginning of his gospel, starting it with in the beginning, he wants us thinking of that moment of creation when he introduces Jesus. So let's go back to the Gospel of John and dive in a little bit more to what we read earlier. So he writes in the first verse, in the beginning was the Word. So highlight that if you're taking notes, the Word. This is how John refers to Jesus. And that is connecting it again back to Genesis. Because how did God create the universe? With his words. He spoke the universe into existence. He said, let there be light. And so in in the Old Testament... As a whole, God's word was really his powerful self-expression. And John is saying, in the beginning was the word. In other words, at the creation, there was Jesus. Jesus, sort of the embodiment of God's power, his his universe-shaping word. Jesus brought the world into existence. That's what John's telling us. Other New Testament writers made this same point. For example, Paul in uh, Colossians 1 wrote this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. In the Son, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The author of Hebrews started uh, his work the same way, talking about Jesus as creator. He wrote this in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So Christ is the creator. In the beginning was the word. This is what John is telling us. And the word, if we go back to John, there's this great turn of phrase here. Highlight this, these two little pieces. John says, the word was with God and the word was God. And so I love that because that's just sort of like a a passing glimpse at the Christian notion of the Trinity, right? One God in three distinct persons. It's, you know, John is saying, look, Jesus is God and he's with God. And he goes on, verse 4, in him was life. This, the word, the eternal word, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you're 
taken notes, highlight twice there, the light and the darkness are mentioned. So light and dark is a big part of what John is describing as he's introducing Jesus, the word of God. And that discussion of light and dark in John is more connection to Genesis because remember when we went back to Genesis, it's about God creating light and separating it from light and dark. And here John is saying Jesus is the source of life and he illuminates the world. Darkness has not overcome his light. All the evil and sin and death in the world, no matter how dark things might seem, the brightness of the identity of Jesus, his, who he is, his mission, his message has not been extinguished by the darkness. And so this, what John is leading us into, this is the the sort of cosmic eternal prequel to the manger scene. This is Christ who existed before earth, the Son of God before there was light. Jesus predates the book of Genesis and the events chronicled in Genesis. He brought the stars into existence, including the one, if it was a star or a comet or whatever it was, that guided the Magi to see him when he would come here as an infant. He made it all. John is describing a time before Christmas trees because there were no trees. He's describing a time where there was No snow because there was no water yet. No songs because there was no sound yet, as we know it. The first five verses of John are an ocean of insight into who Jesus is. And so I want to just summarize a few things that John is telling us in these first few verses of his prologue. The first is this. Jesus has always existed. Now, this is kind of a mind-bending thing. But when we think about eternity, we think about the future, eternal life, the future, But the biblical doctrine of who Jesus is, I mean, we see it all through Scripture um, and and God himself, is that he he never came into existence. And so we have to think of eternity past when it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus, that he's existed as far that direction as he will exist in that direction. Jesus has never been created. And so when he was born as a human in Bethlehem, something new and wonderful was happening, but that wasn't when he was created. The Son is eternal. In fact, he is the creator. So that's the big thing that John is wanting us to see right off the bat, is that Jesus has always existed. Second, Jesus is God. We saw that. Also, that Jesus is the creator. That's the third thing. Do you think of Jesus as creator? I know for a long time in my life as a Christian, I just didn't think of him in those terms as much. And it really changed the way I view him, that there's nothing in this world that exists that's outside of his view and his power and his providence and his control. He made all of it. All of it was his idea. And then finally, Jesus illuminates a darkened world. This is what John is helping us to see. He illuminates a darkened world in a literal sense that he's the creator and he created light but also in a spiritual sense, the giver of truth. John is wanting us to think about all of this when he introduces Jesus. Let's keep reading verse 6. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now here, John, the author is not referring to himself. He's referring to John the Baptist. He's saying that there's this one who is going to be a forerunner of Jesus, who's going to point to Jesus, the light. He's going to bear witness to the light. 
So let's keep reading verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So John, he, he restates here that Jesus made the world, and then he shocks us by saying what he made, the world, all of us, humanity, didn't recognize him. The creation didn't recognize the face of its creator. His own people didn't accept him. But that was not everybody's reaction. Some people did see him and embrace him. And those people became what? Highlight this if you're taking notes. Children of God. Think about that. Anyone who received Jesus back then in the centuries between today become children of God, children of the one who made the stars. We should never get used to that idea. It's a mind-boggling idea, a life-changing idea. So then we come to the last verse of John's prologue, and it's really like the pinnacle of his prologue, John 1.14. It says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to highlight that first phrase if you're taking notes. The Word became flesh. Remember, John has told us who the Word is, the eternal Son of the Father, Creator. That Word became flesh. In my view, the Word became flesh might be the most concise expression of Christmas in the Bible. The Word became flesh. The eternal, cosmic, all-powerful creator Christ, that one deliberately wrapped himself in the flesh of a human being. Bones, tendons, aches, pains, chromosomes, veins, organs, muscles, emotions, personality, memories, temperament. Jesus left his heavenly home, and don't miss this, without ceasing to be God, inhabited human tissue and society. And in it, John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. The the word dwelling there in the original Greek of John's gospel is literally tent, tabernacle. He made his tabernacle with us. He made his tent, his dwelling with us. And that is recalling the Old Testament period when God dwelled in the tabernacle among his people Israel. And John is saying, listen, God's going to come here and he's not just going to inhabit a tent as he once did something better, a human body. He's going to become one of us. So what does all this mean? It means Jesus's birth was not the beginning of his story. Jesus had always existed. His arrival on earth was a new chapter. But he wasn't created when he arrived in Bethlehem. And it's so critical that we understand what John has told us because if we reduce Christmas down to almost just like this one moment frozen in time, we forget the backstory of who Jesus really is and where he came from and why our view of Jesus and of Christmas can get much smaller than it's meant to be. 
And when we face the struggles of life, when we wrestle with our future, when we find ourselves in despair looking for hope, we risk having an incomplete picture of who it is who walks with us through our days. We, we miss out on the peace and trust we're supposed to experience that really flows from knowing the fullness of who Jesus is. So if Bethlehem, that moment when he came to earth, is the Christmas story as we all know it, John is giving us the prequel, Jesus' backstory, eternal, eternity in that direction. And then you have Bethlehem, the Christmas story. So what's the sequel? What came after? It's Jesus' rescue mission. That's what came after. Because remember, the goal of Christmas is Easter. Jesus didn't come to earth as a human just to prove he could do it. He came on a mission to save us, to rescue us, and that's what he did. And so I want to kind of summarize what seems to be the key idea you know, behind John 1, what we've read, and it's this. Jesus left his heavenly home to make his home with us in order to provide a way for us to come home to him. Jesus left his heavenly home to make his home with us in order to provide a way for us to come home to him. It's all about home, really. So fast forward three decades after the manger in Bethlehem, when Jesus was on the eve of his crucifixion, he spent some time with his disciples and he comforted them. And John was one of those. And Jesus said this in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus provided a way to come home, and he is the way. It's himself. And God had created this perfect home for us at the beginning, and, and we lost it due to our sin, and we alienated ourselves from our creator. And we all feel this. On a soul level, we feel the loss, the absence of that perfect home we were made for. We feel that our lives and that our world are not as they should be. And we long for that perfect heavenly home. We were wired, wired to. We were made for it. And we could never get back there on our own. And so Jesus left the splendor of heaven, came on a rescue mission, and made his home with us. And as John describes here in his gospel, if we place our faith in Christ, we will come home to the Father, to his house, as children of God. The way home to Jesus is through Jesus. The way home is not a great life plan. The way home is not a meticulously maintained moral lifestyle. It's the way home is not paved with stones of self-improvement. It's not hoping at the end our good deeds outweigh our bads. No. The one way to our perfect home where we belong is Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one becomes a child of God apart from Jesus. But 
as it said back in John 1, to those who receive Jesus, to those who believe, we are given the right to become children of God and come home. And it's a home we all miss and long for, even though we've not experienced it yet. We feel it. I find it interesting. I think even the most hardened atheists and agnostics and skeptics, they miss that home too because they feel that this world is not the way it should be. Why should they think that? Why should they have any notion that the world isn't as it should be unless there's an echo of that perfect home that lives inside of them, in their soul, that is telling them there's something better? And John is telling us how to find our way back there, and it's through Jesus. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this in Mere Christianity. He writes this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This is what the Christmas story tells us. John tells us we were made for another world, another home, a perfect home, and nothing in this world ultimately in this life can satisfy that longing except Jesus. When he arrived as a, as a baby, visited by wise men, heralded by angels, nurtured by his earthly parents, what was happening? What child is this? It was the eternal creator Christ making his home, his life with us as one of us to open the door for us to come home. Not with our tail between our legs because we're not sure if we deserve that perfect home, but with our heads held high as beloved children of God, an incalculable joy, an immeasurable gift made possible because the son of God who had existed for eternity past untold eons decided to enter time and space to illuminate a darkened world and to give it all for you and for me, for all of us. Praise be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible text in John that you inspired him to write. And we want it to enlarge our view of you, Jesus. We want it to magnify our view of Christmas. We do not want to go through the motions and make this holiday or make you smaller than you are. We want to see you for who you are and to imagine in a fresh way the grandeur of your rescue mission of you, Jesus, eternally existing, creating our world, deciding to come here for us. And we want to grow as we anticipate celebrating Christmas in our sense of how loved we are by you. Help us to sense that. Help us to feel that, that comforting presence. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Thanks for joining us, and remember to subscribe for weekly messages. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you're looking for ways to give to and through CCLW, you can visit cclw.org forward slash give for more information. You can also simply send a text. Text any amount to 84321. Join us in person every Sunday at 11. Directions and address are available online at cclw.org. Have a blessed week.